Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I am one of your co-hosts today, Dana Pickley. I'm Ian Martin. I'm Kimberly Ann Southwick. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. And today we are here to discuss Angel Season 2 belonging the start of the end of the season um but before we get into the episode i wanted to give our patreon a little promo um over there you can see you can listen to all of our buffy season three content the full episodes we put out shorter edited down episode versions of those episodes on the podcast feed that are like a half hour long but if you want the hour or sometimes hour plus version get them on our patreon you also get access to our my nudie Judy videos I did with Zach, which are like sex talk videos, uh, Firefly coverage, Harley Quinn coverage, Batman the Animated Series coverage, and uh, sometimes you get access to our watch-alongs over Zoom, um, our Discord channel, our Facebook group, and if you're at the top tier, which is higher power, you can be someone who gives an outro at the end of one of our recordings of your favorite outfit, your favorite scene, and grade. Um but yes, Belonging, what did we think revisiting this episode? Uh, Dana, did you know this episode at all? Was this your first time watching it? This was my first time watching it, okay. Ian. All of these are my first time watching. But I know some of them you like kind of know. Like you kind of know what happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. But no, this is just, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a, an angel virgin here. I was really excited when I saw Amy Acker's name <laughs> in the in the promo. <laughs> Don't really get there quite yet. Right. But... I will say this felt the closest to a grown-up Buffy episode of the Angels that I've watched um, recently. I, you know, the the dialogue was was spot on, the the plot moving uh, movement was spot on. Um, so yeah, I I, I I enjoyed the heck out of this, and I will say this episode contains one of the scrungliest monsters, <laughs> <laughs> scrungliest monsters I have ever seen. Good word. <laughs> um kim what'd you think revisiting this episode yeah i mean i i'm not new to angel but as a a rewatch of the series goes i feel like oh man a lot of the episodes i've been on have sort of been bummers and this one really did feel like like a a complete episode and i was like oh maybe the people i'm recording with it that have never watched angel before won't hate this one because i feel like we're always defending angel for some reason we're like no it gets better i promise (laughs) and i feel like here we are you know it's finally finally picking up a bit yeah yeah ian uh i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) there's always one uh yeah and i hate being the one um the thing of it is, is I, I, I don't think that there's anything, any reason not to like it. I think that it is polished. I think that it is setting up a bunch of uh, nice character stuff for the mini arc that's going to follow the next four or five episodes. Um, I love the exploration of Lorne and and sort of the queer subtext of the whole thing that is hardly subtext. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it all depends on what you come to the Buffyverse for. This is a very gentle episode and you know, I like the pain. <laughs> uh, the, the feelings, the drama, the, you know, I, I'm uh, Angel is the dark show. And ever since Epiphany, we've been like the back half of Angel uh, season two is really uh, light stuff, and it's all very well done. It's just not what I come to the show for. That's that's fair, actually. I I I I'm in it to cry, 
my favorite episodes of Buffy are all of the super dramatic mainstays. If someone's dying, that's probably one of my favorite <laughs> episodes. Uh, you know, Doppelgangland is great, and I get why that is a fan favorite and one of the most cherished of the bunch. Uh, it just isn't for me, and those tastes kind of pretty well map onto Angel as well. Where you know, I like to I like to feel some things, and to me, that heightens the joy and the comedy and and whatever. But without the drama. It, it 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 sort of feels a little sitcommy. It, it, there's a little less, uh, and, and I I love sitcoms. I don't mean that as a pejorative. I just mean like the genre shifts so far away that um you know and and Buffyverse shows are genre benders as it is, yeah. but it bends so hard it it just kind of becomes something else for me. That's fair. I don't know. I feel like it's like this 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 final arc of the season here is doing a little bit of the same things that the magicians does that I love where we get like I mean we're going to talk about the episode like the the very end of the episode and it's like the way that she reacts to being in what is the name of that place Pi Pylea Pylea, there we go. I was not going to say it that way. The way that she reacts to being in Pylea is like almost comical, but it's a very serious situation that she's in. And I like that like juxtaposition that Angel and like Buffy like does so well of like the dramatic and the funny. Uh, And I think that's maybe what you're calling the sitcom-y stuff. Like the the whole conversation at the beginning of this episode, you know, Uh, when they're at the sushi restaurant, it's like it's like funny, but also the gang's all back together. and It's kind of awkward that like balance of the funny and and the drama, I think the, the end of this season's larger arc, like let alone these small moments, I think does pretty well. And I'm just really excited to meet Fred. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real palate cleanser, you know, and, and not and yeah. not and I don't say that to, to make it seem like it's not important, but in a way it also because everyone is struggling with their own sense of belonging it really like ties everyone and the episode together in this really nice balanced way. Yeah. The character work I think is the strongest part of it. Everyone really gets something to do. I mean, maybe with the exception of angel, who's a little, uh, it, it just gets little bits here and there, but he's been such the focus of this season that they um, are just kind of carrying along his desire for a world of just good and evil and, and binary morality and all of that. But um, I, yeah, I think the character work for everyone is pretty strong. I love seeing the, finally we get Wes's dad in the picture to some degree where he's just been mentioned in um, under the skin. I can't remember the name of the episode. I've got you under my skin. Yeah. Yeah. So there, but again, that's the drama, that moment of seeing Wes crushed by his father's judgment yeah, as a card carrying daddy issue person, uh, that that does it for me. That's good stuff. Uh, you know, the rest of it, I I think is um, enjoyable, just not my thing. That's fair. Also, I feel like maybe we can like sell you on some of it by the end of this co- this talk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like that's 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 our goal, y'all. You know, Ian, I will say I recorded with um, the folks from Another Buffy podcast, which is the name of the podcast. This confused Jason when we recorded with them, uh, Trevor and Kristen, who are great, and they actually they are the first. Uh, they're, they're aside from you, the only other people I've met that they're both kind of like eh on season three the way you are. So you're not alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. <laughs> I'm the thing of it is is I I I hate 
a dissection. I hate a takedown. I hate being a killjoy. I'd always rather have a good time. <laughs> I'd r- always rather be, um, you know, find the fun. Yeah. Um, I, I really do need to find the fun. B. <laughs> so, you know, uh, yeah, hopefully, um, that happens. That's always an experience I'm looking for. <laughs> um, this episode starts with them at dinner. And this is something I feel like across the Buffyverse, we never get enough of. Just like, they're having a nice time hanging out. Like, I, I love a scene where it's just like, and I think this scene especially we did need, right? Because we have, this whole season's been so dramatic. And they do a little bit breeze over Angel being back on the group. But like, the nature of TV, they can't have them all like hate him for the rest of the season or show. I like what they do though with him, like in the mirror. So we just see the three of them and we think it's just the three of them. Mm-hmm. And then they pan away from the mirror and show that he's there. I thought that that was a really good way to illustrate that. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, I do like the when he says, I'm not cheap, I'm just old, which is Angel, but also Kim. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, I've always been this way, though. Yeah, true. Yeah, even when you are like a kid. We learned that Cordelia booked a commercial, and she feels bad for not joining whatever fight that she... I appreciate also that they're like, yeah, 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 she had a vision. We're going to... We handle that plot. Because that makes sense, right? It makes sense that this group would have these, like, adventures that are very, like, side quests that don't actually matter because she's always getting visions. Cord- <laughs> The the thing for me that I will say, and Ian, I don't know if this bothered you, the wackiness of Angel, the scene starts good. I really it, like it. But then when he like grabs that woman's like shawl, right? Yeah, David's kind of at 11 yeah. uh, in, in the scene. <laughs> um, there's a there's a really uh, <laughs> there's a freeze frame where they're cheersing uh, and the expression on David's face is. Yeah, it, it, the the grin, the bright eyes. I mean, it, it, it's 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 a little campy and over the top, but it's also endearing because uh, he's just happy to be back and happy to be a part of the group again. So, well, he also doesn't really belong in in like certain situations. I think it's it was showing like his awkwardness of like playing the role of a Cuban boy. Um, you know, going to a restaurant, sitting there, and he just he his awkwardness is so palpable um, in this in these moments, and I think that that that's kind of like the culmination of like his weirdness and his awkwardness of of trying to fit in, trying to belong. Well, particularly at a restaurant, cheersing over drinks you can't really taste, over food that you're, you know, um, that you don't need to eat. Obviously, Spike enjoys food, but. Uh, yeah, it's it that particular context is probably not Angel's strong suit. But Dana, you do make a good point. That was almost selling me more on it than I I don't know. That bothered me, but now that you're saying that, I'm like, mm, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I think it I mean, I think it bothered me just because it was so awkward, not because I thought it was bad writing. <laughs> that is Yeah, when we watch my wife Lonnie and I uh kind of try and avoid super uh, awkward things. No curb your enthusiasms or any of that, because I have the same reaction. We watch certain episodes where people are fighting half the time or whatever. And the the awkwardness and the the social, uh, the confrontation will cause me to sit there with my ears plugged. And so I have the, uh, the, because I just have such a stringent reaction to um, awkward staging. So that could be a little bit about what it's about too. Wait, Ian, I love that. I love that, like, the awkward is too much for you. <laughs> yeah, I, 
it took many rewatches to get through the office uh watching people fight on survivor which is one of lonnie's favorite shows uh she'll ask me how i enjoyed the episode i say this is great i only got to watch about 20 minutes of it because my fingers were in my ears for the rest of it but it's just a a particular reaction that i have to uh awkwardness and conflict that's how i feel about ben stiller movies Um, I thought it was interesting how not everyone at the sushi restaurant, though, was watching this happen. Like, they, people in the background were just, like, eating and not paying attention to him. And I thought he was, like, so loud. So I thought that was weird. Very, like, living in a city, though, right? Well, thankfully, you know, thankfully Cordelia breaks up the uh, the awkwardness by barfing right at the table. <laughs> and, like, very realistic soundingly, yeah. too. Like, I don't know if they, like, they legitimately had somebody barf to make the noise that that makes. Because I was like, that sounds like a true barf. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Lonnie, again, uh, Lonnie of Chipperish Media, uh, has written a bunch of, uh, is very fluent, has been teaching me the language of 90s romantic comedies. And there's an element of this arc for Cordelia that is a romantic comedy, what with the, not to get too far ahead, but there are, there are elements later on that kind of have a romantic comedy vibe to it. And one of the elements of early 90s or mid 90s romantic comedies is and this isn't a good thing but the humiliation of the female lead so in french kiss when for no reason whatsoever meg ryan gets lacto uh, uh is lactose intolerant and so eats a bunch of cheese so we can have a scene where she's humiliated it's a weird trope of romantic comedies from the particular era that angel is very close to and for some reason i mean because of those elements that are in this mini arc in the the back half of angel season two i was definitely reminded of why are they okay um it's just such a specific trope and i'm not sure it was used intentionally but it definitely stood out to me i guess i look at it as if as the nineties were when we actually started treating women characters as like human beings. Um, and like women accidentally have the shit sometimes, you know, like women <laughs> sometimes actually, you know, <laughs> puke at a restaurant. And I get what you're saying, Ian, about the humiliation factor. Cause there definitely are like these cringy moments in nineties, in nineties things. But I also think it allowed women to be portrayed in a similar manner to the way that men are being portrayed in romantic comedies, and so I kind of, I kind of like the the uh, the throwing the the prim and proper that we've had to play for so long out the window. Finally, in in like the mid to late nineties. Yeah, I mean, I like that reading too. Like maybe that's maybe um, sometimes there's a pendulum swing that swings deep the other direction, and so that we can course correct. Um, I think that's a good take. So. I'm going to sidetrack us a little bit more before Dana gets us back on track. Um, this reminds me, the TV show Happy Endings. I don't know if any of you watched that show. It was like a very... Oh, yeah. yeah. Dana, then maybe you'll remember with the bit I'm about to say. Um, and God, I never remember all the characters' names. But when Elijah Cuthbert, her sister's husband, I forget what that actor is. It's one of the Wayans brothers. They're like, both find out they love romantic comedies and they're going to see them together. 
And like the romantic comedy they're watching, it's like the woman's arm catches on fire and then you cut to them laughing and they're like, oh, that never happens in real life. And then we cut to Penny on her date. She puts her arm down on the table and it catches on fire. She puts it on the candle. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's one of my favorite bits because it's like making fun of them, but not in a cruel way. It's just like being like, yeah, romantic comedies can be silly. But then being like, we have a character that is like one of those romantic comedy characters. Yes, absolutely. Cordelia barfs. The barf felt like too much. to the, Not in a way, because you are right, Dana. Like, yes, like women can get the shits and barf. But the way it was like, I was like, oh, this is a vision, is what I thought. Because like the way she falls over and like drags everything off the table with her. I was like, oh, she's she's like pretending she's just sick, but it's a vision. And then, no, that's not what it was. <laughs> Evidently, you've never had food poisoning because that everything's coming down, Ian. Everything. <laughs> but speaking of coming down, yes. we're soon moving into Wesley having a very sad conversation with his father, who is desperate. Who he's desperate for his approval. He's hoping his father will be proud that he's now in charge of of the angel investigation. Uh, you know, conglomerate. Um, but his father's like, didn't you get fired before? And like. You know, are are you sure you're not going to get fired again? I like that this is mostly paid off in season. Not quite. I don't know, Ian. That's like probably the incorrect term, right? That really paid off in season uh, five, but we get to it in season they, five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything since we we have someone who has not seen the entire thing. But um, yeah, it continues to move forward. Um, they They take this little element from this one and the previous episode and really develop with Wesley in a way that I, I tend to enjoy. Yes, the same. I do like that. I like I like that too a lot. I love the development of his character and Cordy's character all throughout Angel. I also, though, did think that the music that they played was like too much. It was like too sad. Because like, we get it. He's having a sad conversation because his dad doesn't approve of him. This music that you're playing, though, was like just so sad. Mm. I'm like, we get it. We don't need the music. <laughs> Does anyone well, else notice that or is it just me? If there's one thing I, I think the episode uh, does not have, uh, it's a, a light touch. Yeah. It's a pretty heavy-handed episode. Um, I, I mean, the comedy is, as in her uh, Pratt falling over the table while she's getting sick, you know, David's face at the table, at, uh, all of that. So just there's, there's not a lot of subtlety in the general tone of the whole thing. So yeah, I kind of agree with you. That's fair. I, I just don't even remember the music. Yeah, I don't, I don't either, but yeah, you're right. This, this episode is the subtlety of a bag of hammers. <laughs> um, then we cut to angel and it looks like he's in sunlight. It's so cute. It's actually a really sweet moment. Yes. Right. I love that too. Very much. Because I like that. He looks happy, right? He's like, oh, look. I am he does. <laughs> He's like, he closes his eyes. He can feel, he remembers the sun on his face. It's really sweet. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, I know we just said heavy handed, but I actually find the music in that little bit pretty nice. That's actually strangely one of the most memorable scenes from the series for me. I, mm-hmm. I sometimes don't remember what episode it's in. But I remember, oh, you remember that scene when he was on set with Cordelia and stood under the sunlight? Oh, that was that was really nice. Even the memory, the, the simulated experience of sunlight and his humanity was enough to bring him sort of joy and comfort. It's really a beautiful little scene. Yeah. Followed by. <laughs> Followed by, right? Garbage. <laughs> Garbage director. So, I, uh, and I loathe to even do this, but like, 
it was really hard watching this scene and separating it from what we know happened. Yes. On you can't, not, you know, it was, it was so, I don't know. Like, right. It's just interesting. <laughs> Incredibly. Well, and, and not, so there's, there's sort of like multiple layers of, huh? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so if you're going to go here and do the, the misogynist objectification, all of that. Can I spoil one detail, uh, an episode later on? Yeah, don't worry about me and go for it. Uh, okay. Then to put her in another bikini later on in uh, an episode or two later without sort yeah. of grappling with, this is so heavy handed, this scene. Um, and, and, and that's always the issue, the, the struggle with Buffyverse stuff. When I talk about how, heavy handed some of the patriarchal you know you're a girl uh you want me to work it off for you peaches when they go like oh look at the sexist guys it's so heavy handed and then so much other stuff is ignored it's the constant uh sort of complaint about xander and the the way he you know cordelia is dressed like barbara bush and he's saying (laughs) she's dressed slutty like uh, the 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 constant other stuff that doesn't get commented on, it's and, and this particular scene, it's almost like like the scene wants a trophy for calling out the sexism, but I can't reconcile that against not only the outfit that Cordelia we- is is wearing in Pylea, which is portrayed in a different way, as sort of empowering or what have you even though she's a slave in that scene too. But then you have the added layer of what Charisma Carpenter went through um, on the set itself. There's so many weird, confusing, like if there's, if is the princess outfit later in the, the mini arc supposed to be commentary in some way on this scene, but then they're having their cake and eating it too, by putting her in. I'm so confused. Self-awareness was not a priority. (laughs) She looks so hot though. Like her boobs look so good. (laughs) And I feel like someone needs to say this. And like, as a straight woman, like I need, I'm going to say it. I don't know. (laughs) You're allowed to say it because you're not like, you're objectively looking. (laughs) And I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but I just, it just needed to be said. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I just like, the director was too much, and it's like it. Ju- I just was like, "Who did we base this character off of?" Like, hmm. Well, I know it, it. It seems it seems like it's too much. Yes. Well, yeah. This is absolutely not. Yeah. Too much. This absolutely happened and happens to actors, uh, especially women, and so it comes across as like, "Oh, this is too much," but it's like, uh, this was happening to them. Yeah, but. <laughs> There's also something else I can't reconcile with this, but more importantly, I think, and I'm curious what you all think. I so the episode before this is dead end, where like Lindsay's last episode, and that's the first episode where like there's that scene where he brings Cordelia like all the food from like a restaurant, and she's like, "You brought me so much," and he was like, "I couldn't remember what you liked, so I brought you everything." And that, for me, felt like the first beat. And I was like, am I reading too much into this? But then in this episode, just how defensive he gets, I think, I think that this is like the start of him falling in love with her, I think. I agree. Yeah, okay. I was wondering, Dana, what you would, since I know this is your first time, but right, that feels like that, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there was, that I don't moment, remember. 
I don't remember if it was this moment, but I, I, I also agree. I don't remember if it was this moment, though, or there was a later moment, too. So I'm curious, Dana, if you felt it here or like there was another part in the episode that you felt it. I So here I'm watching it and I'm like, is he just being super protective because that's what Angel right. does? Or is there something more? And then it connects to that next moment um, when they're back at the Hyperion and Angel's up, you know, talking about how he didn't like how he was this director was talking to Cordelia there there are these moments that his in his face that you can see that there's something more there okay so i i'm glad it wasn't just like cuz i'm only they're my they're my favorite like straight couple ship in, in buffyverse like i I love a like they get to know each other, they get comfortable with each other because when I was watching Dead End with Jason, hilariously, this episode has it airs later, but I forgot to book any more guests for the Lindsay's last episode. So it was just me and Jason. But you know, Jason even said, Yeah, but like you and I, when we live together, we would do shit like that. We'd be like, Hey, I'm bringing home dinner and then we'd eat together. Like, you know, we, oh, you're sick. Let me go get you something. And I was like, Yeah, but like I can see that. You know, and to, to Jason's credit, he probably, if he was on a set where some director was being shitty to me, he also, you know, I had a guy try to fight me at Stonewall once and Jason gripped the guy up and slammed him against the wall, like immediately when the guy touched me. So like, I do know there is like a friend element there, but I do think this is the start of him. And I almost think that he's getting aware of it too, right? Yes. That's the thing. That's the thing I see in his face. Yes. And, like, it's weird because I've read that, like, they, and Ian, you might know better than I do, I've read that that wasn't always the plan, and it feels like that was the plan here. Well, especially given Grusalug, who I tend to refer to as just Diet Angel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's so obviously patterned after uh, Angel, and it's such a, a tropey thing to sort of create the will-they-won't-they they, and then immediately introduce an impediment to the will-they-won't-they. They. You know, the... Uh, the moonstruck structure, moonlighting, moonlighting. Thank you, not moonstruck. And then castle, and it, yeah, it's been the, the it's part of the model ever since. But yeah, so because of the character that is about to be introduced in an episode or two, it 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 feels pretty planned to me. Yes, right. Yes, knowing but, where it goes, even is like you're one of the first people I've heard hold this up as one of the better uh, romances. Uh, straight romances in the show though but i can kind of get it because unlike a lot of the other romances that are sort of i mean buffy and angel were sort of the the uh dying star teenage implosion romance the uh romeo and juliet passion in an instant sort of thing this is something that feels more adult because it's grounded in friendship and uh evolves uh slowly over time so I and I like that. I think that those tend to be some of the more um, enjoyable romantic stories. Yeah. Yes, and I think Angel and Buffy. And you know, when we revisited it, Dana, I think didn't we do a season two episode where we talked about how like they did have like it's like oh I, we forgot how much how good their chemistry was. Mm-hmm. And like they have, I do think it's there, but it's kind of like it has to be there, right? That is the story with Angel. There isn't another story going on there. It's. He's in love with Buffy. They have like, like you said, Ian, the like star-crossed lover, Romeo and Juliet crap going on. And then uh, Riley's kind of like there. <laughs> um, and then Spike is maybe the one that gets to develop with Buffy. So I do understand why that pairing has the most devoted of the pairings. 
But, you know, all of them had, like, quote-unquote, the bad thing that happens. And this one, I agree with you, Ian, it just feels adult. And there isn't, like, a bad thing. Neither of them do, like, a really terrible thing to each other while going through this. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I like this. And I feel like they are a good balance for each other. Angel's not fucking mopey all the time about her. Um, She she while i do think she's it takes it i do think it takes her a little bit longer to realize it than angel she's not just all puppy dog over him she's like she likes him and she likes spending time with him and then slowly she's like wait a minute this might be more and i i don't know i just kim you are you you are their peers yes they're peers yes and i love that even though realistically they're not peers and she's like maybe 20 right he's 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 hundreds of years old and he's you know a a powerful you know demon but yeah they're peers right um but jim how do you what do you think about that like yeah i like the way that um other ian sorry other ian (laughs) to call you other ian i like the way that yeah, no, there's no good way to say it. Um, put that like it's an adult yeah. relationship. I think that that's a really smart way to put it. And I, I just love how how subtle it is. Yeah. But we see that change in him. And to one of you, I think, Ian, you were just saying this too, how we can see that he's like he's like a lighter around mm-hmm. her. You know, that like broodiness that, that really drags him down. That people don't seem to like in the the you know what we've watched so yeah. far of Angel on Slayer Fest that that really kind of gets sucked out when he is falling in love and then in love with her. Yes, and honestly, that's Zach has not been really won over this season, and I I'm like, oh, but I know you'll be won over once we get more of this. But Dana, also, I'm curious, have you been? What do you think of it? Do you like it or? The, the the potential relationship yes. or possibility of relationship. Yeah. Um, I didn't at first. I can see it now. Okay, that's fair. But season one, I was like, "Give me a break." <laughs> uh, but I can I can see it. Just you know, physically, they look older. They're acting older. They the stakes are different. Uh, so it, it does make sense now. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um. So I know I just spent freaking 15 minutes about a one second scene but i just that's important to me um so then we cut to the hyperion hotel we we need the like other plot of like guns old gang comes and he like basically right the like conceit of that is he's not there for them right is that's like right we're yeah and this is this really sets up some uh I hate the word problematic. I think it's been beat into the ground, but in some situations it's helpful. Uh, there's a lot of um, sort of racial and class coding mm-hmm. that occurs uh, with guns arc over the course of the show that I think was well-intentioned, um, it, but not deliberate. Um, but it's one of the issues uh, when you sort of take a step back and look at angel as a whole. And this is really where this and Thin Deadline is really where the the roots of that story begin. Yeah. I mean, to your point, and this is always my argument, how like, and I'm going <laughs> to welcome to my bloody Judy. Uh, in the movie, it's part one and two. Part two opens with a fucking hate crime where this gay couple gets like beat to shit. And you're supposed to be like, well, that's Pennywise's influence on the town. And I'm like, but like that happens in real life without Pennywise the clown. 
And then the one boyfriend gets fucking eaten after being hate crimed by the clown. And so a lot of people had this disagreement of like, well, gay people are allowed to be, you know, in horror movies too. And it's like, yes, but if they're the only gay characters in this movie, I... And their gayness is the reason that they are in peril. Yes. That's the key to the barrier gaze trope mm-hmm. um, or those sorts of things or, you know, tropes in general is, is that queerness or someone's race or someone's religion is, you know, whatever is the reason that they're being targeted and the reason that they suffer. Yes. Yes. And Dana, did you see those movies? Yes. Because, right, they do try to, like, get it in the end where they, like, have that, like, kicker of, like, maybe the guy was in love with the other guy, but it's like, right? (laughs) It was the dumbest choice. And I remember just being appalled at the theater. Yes. Um, But so I think, like, that's what I feel like with Gun. I think you're completely correct, Ian, because I think if we had had other characters of color that were not in a gang, like right. it would have been like, okay, yes, right. one of the characters can be, but because he is the only black character, it's like, all right, we got to Yeah. And, and because uh, race and poverty lines and all of that tend to line up in this country. Um, a lot of times it ends up being uh commentary on and i'm not going to do this the analysis justice uh in this particular uh, but the 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 takeaway is that it ends up being commentary between being belonging uh in white culture means giving up yeah. your identity mm-hmm. uh and again i don't think that they meant to wander into that I, but I, I don't think that Seeing Red uh, knew what they were walking into with that episode either. <laughs> Don't even say it. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, the episode Dana will never forgive me for making her go. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you both, Chip, Dana and Tim, you were both on for that episode. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> I think the best part for me about the, the lore of Seeing Red, though, not, not to get off topic here, but Joss was excited. Yeah as all get out to tell Amber Benson, not only was she going to not have a job anymore, <laughs> but this beloved character was going to be brutally murdered. And put in the credits as a ha-ha. Like, oh, I'm so geeked. <laughs> God, and she talked about that when we had her on, last time she was on the podcast, remember, Dana? Yeah, she, she, she's been pretty open about, about that. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so we get the crew and it's what? They want to borrow his car, right? And he says, no, 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 right. I'll meet you. And then they kind of... Because they're tra- they're tracking down the Hockler demon that was in Cordelia's vision. Um, so he runs off, Gunn runs off with Angel and Wesley instead of George and Rondell. Right, yes. Um, and like, I just don't know what... Because I, Ian, you're 100% correct. I don't think they did it on purpose, but I don't know what they're trying to say here. Like because then the one guy does die and it's like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know that they're trying to say anything, mm-hmm. but it's um, what they're doing is they're, they're trying to, everyone's having an identity crisis. It just uh, happens that guns is steeped in, is not steeped in fantasy. Yeah. It's, it's not, mm-hmm. uh, we're not talking demons and uh, angels and all of that. We're talking about something that is still, a very um, vital, important uh, cultural conversation. Um, and 
maybe there was some uh, uh, an education or uh, a um some background or having some non-white writers in the writers room yeah. that could have really helped the story um as it is though i th- again i think that it was done all done with um good intentions which is that every character is getting some uh, development and some grounding in uh, what's not only what's going on in this episode, but what's to come. Um, yes, it's just un- it's just unfortunate, especially because I love Gunn's uh, character. Um, I think his performance is wonderful. It's just uh, a little complicated. Yeah. So then Angel comes. <clears throat> they leave. Angel enters, and here is another thing where I have, and I, I we don't need to harp on this because I know we're. 40 minutes in and we're barely 10 minutes into the episode. Um, (laughs) But uh, the beat of when Angel is pissed about the director and then says, he put Cordy in this revealing bikini and then kind of flimsy swimsuit. Yeah. And then they all kind of pause and like, yeah, it was a bit much. Yeah. That's the whole problem I have with, the director call out of objectification and then <laughs> the whole episode wants to have its cake and eat it, eat it too. It's like, you don't get a trophy for then sort of, uh, uh, stopping to have a masturbation joke where all of your, as he's, you know, squeezing his hilt yes. a little too hard, yeah. uh, as all of the male characters on the show objectify the currently the only female only, character on yes. the show. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so tone deaf. Dana, do you, that feels very you-know-who, right? Well, uh, as as a lesbian, <laughs> I have had many male friends over the course of my life whose friendships I had to uh, prematurely end. Okay. Because no matter what, there was always this undercurrent of uh, some sort of attraction or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, possessiveness or something like that. So this doesn't feel as off to me as maybe it feels off to you guys. But maybe maybe Kimberly could speak to this too. But like, I've had guy friends and this is, this is how a lot of guy friends have made me feel over my life. <laughs> I'm yeah, not saying it's okay, the, but I'm not saying it's not realistic. Yeah, I don't think the realism is the problem here. I think it's more that the having the cake and eating it too, right? Can we can we paint up this character, the director, we're supposed to not like, and we're only supposed to not like him because he is being a misogynist very openly. And then can we give our three leading men this like, subtle objectification moment which objectification and misogyny are like you know they hold hands i don't know if they're exactly um on top of each other oh man that was the worst (laughs) worst phrase to use there ever um but yeah i think that it's more like then you know there's lots there's lots of bad guys on the show suddenly not just this like one skeevy director yeah um but maybe maybe the subtlety of it i don't know i wonder like is the question uh, not whether the behavior is something that actually occurs, but is the scene itself calling it out or is it participating? Yeah, that's a great way to. I think it's calling it out though. You think so? See, I think that's where I think I'm disagreeing with you guys because I saw it as like, these guys are complaining about the same thing that they're actively engaged in. And 
that felt very clear to me watching it. Okay. But that that might be just maybe my perspective is skewed on it. That's fair. I think to me, the moment was written as funny. Mm -hmm. Like it was supposed to be funny. And that's why I didn't see it the way that you're seeing it, Dana. Like the way that they all sort of pause and like stare into the middle space. We were supposed to be like, ha ha, now they're all imagining Cordy in a bathing suit. Yeah, but I do. But Dana, I do appreciate you having a different reading. um, Because I actually rewound that scene because I was like, wait a minute. We're gunning. What did Gunn and Wes do? Um, And they are pretty blank faced. Like it, they just kind of look at him. And I was like, maybe there's a reading where it's like, they are blanking because of the fact that he's the one tightening the hilt because they literally like, I think guns eyebrow raises a like pinch and Wes is completely blank faced. So I'm like, is this supposed to be that they're like, all right, dude, why'd you stop? And you're grabbing that sword a little too tight. Or are they like, oh, she's hot. Like I couldn't quite, so I can see, I, I definitely can see that reading. But okay, now that I delayed us on this two-second scene again, um, even though I said I wouldn't, so they're like, oh, shouldn't we go kill a demon? And we cut to Lorne, which I, I need to know what the fucking music budget was on this show. <laughs> that must have cost a fortune, a Stevie Seriously? Wonder song. Right? <laughs> Oh my god! I thought the exact same thing, Ian. I was like, "That was that was ninety percent of the episode's budget right there." <laughs> it was a weird cut too, because I was like, "Wait a second, we already have like a plot, b plot. Like now we're gonna get c plot." And so I like how it all comes together, even though it felt like we were doing too many things there. Yeah, but yeah, I was I was very much enjoying superstition. Yeah. In this episode, is this the first time we actually learn Lauren's name? Yes. Yes. Cause we, cause he's just referred to as the host, right? Mm-hmm. Or like basically not referred to like by name at all. Okay. Yeah. This okay. This is when this scrungly demon comes in. Mm. You guys, the scrungliest, scrungliest <laughs> demon that may have ever. The long arms. The like he looks. He looks like like the Mucinex demon with <laughs> s- slender man arms. <laughs> that is so scrungly. Very specific. My note says demon jumps out. It's ugly. <laughs> I I think the demon looked like the hellhounds from season three that attacked prom, but with a pig face. That's what I thought they looked like. I was thinking of the uh, demon that you know, from Superstar that is the consequence of uh, oh yeah his his wish to be famous because uh, they did the same stilt arms. Okay. I think they were just in recycling. that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it feels to me there are actual hellhounds from the prom in the next episode. It's the first. Got it. Uh, it's the first demon that Cordy sees in Pylea in the next one, and I'm pretty sure that's a recycled outfit from the hellhounds in the prom. This one, I think, looks like the demon from Superstar. Okay, well, whatever. The, okay, the Draken yeah, is yes. what its name is. <laughs> it's ugly as sin. It is so dorky, and it just like wreaks havoc. Doesn't hurt anybody really. Yeah. But it like wreaks havoc at Caritas, and Lorne is pissed about it. Um, and he's like, uh, hey, I need some help here. <laughs> I like that he's like, this is all part of the show. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I like he tries to play it off because his place is supposed to be like a safe space. Yeah. And I, I feel like Lorne is definitely one of those, like, the show must go on. Keep going. Like, the demon left. We're good. Keep, you know, everyone keep drinking. I feel like he would buy everyone around. And Yeah, totally. <laughs> um. So then he goes, isn't yeah, then he goes to see everyone at the Hyperion Hotel, saying he like needs their help, needs them to kill this beast. So the 
the whole Pylea arc is a little, I don't know. I'm going to wonder how I feel about it going forward for the podcast, but I don't love when it's like, oh, you don't know what that demon is. It's too old. And I'm like, we do this so often. And like, Lauren has been living there. So like, don't they know those? Don't they know demons from that universe? Shouldn't they know that that universe exists? I don't know. Like, it feels like otherwise they would have been like, what are you when they see him? If that's not a demon that they know. I think well, there's so many demons that it's like, true. you know, they, they don't always know them. They have to like look them up in books. Yeah. True. Right. But if it is, if this is like a place that only Lauren has known about. True. And because, because Lauren's like, don't even bother looking in your books. You won't know this demon. And he's very, very like specific that this is, he needs to be killed. Like you got to kill this guy. Yeah. You got to kill this demon. You got to kill him, kill him good. So it's like, Oh, Lauren, you it seems like you know a little bit more about this than than anybody else. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of of beasts in alternate realities and worlds that that aren't going to be in somebody's book. That's fair. That's fair. Um, he like stresses the importance of killing the demon. It's a man-eating demon and is probably very hungry. And as they agree to help him, Cordelia gets a vision of who Dana Amy Amber, or, I mean, sorry, Fred. <laughs> yeah, same thing. <laughs> um, I like. I forgot that we see her at all in this. This I, I don't revisit these episodes a lot, so I like actually forgot until I re until I. That's a lie. Until not until I revisit it today. But when I sometimes when I'm getting like prepping for the like images, I will do like a fast forward watch where I just like skip the scenes and see if there's like an image that pops out to me to try to like do. And I remember being like, wait. Amy Acker's in this? What? And I forgot that that's like why they go to the library. In my head, it was just, there was a totally different plot. They happen to be at the library. Lauren's cousin comes in and then Cordy gets sucked in there and Fred is who she meets. I didn't think that Fred is who they're looking for. I like fully forgot that. And now I realize I might've just spoiled it for you, Dana. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I I, I get it. <laughs> I knew she was going to be a very big part of this, so it all makes sense. So don't worry about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> As I said that, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, and so she gets a vision. And what is the conceit there, Ian? When they're, because isn't it like, well, no, we need to get the demon. Well, no, we need to go to the library. Uh, it's plot <laughs> needs this to happen. Fair enough. <laughs> I like it, it, the in that particular scene. Thing of it is, this is kind of where the episode derails to me a little bit. Um, so much of this setup is for the next few episodes, yeah. but the, I think something this episode suffers from is, oh well, we still need a plot. Mm-hmm. We 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 still need something to happen in this one. Okay, well, it's a hunt, and then the cousin, and then all of that. But all of the the fun character work that they've set up. Um, is really juicy and doesn't have much of a payoff here. So once it descends into sort of rote demon hunting and people, characters, we extras getting eaten on set by the demon with stilt arms and all of that, it's sort of like, well, okay. Uh, I'm just waiting for uh, the rest of the episode (laughs) or or the future episodes. I don't know. I feel like the way that they like, Angel's like, oh, I feel like Lauren's not telling us something. Like, I feel like there's this sense that like Lauren knows something, and you're you're waiting from the scene in the Hyperion till like we get the 
other demon that comes out kind of looking very similar to him, you're like waiting to see what the connection is. And I think that it's like obvious enough and subtle enough that it that it's enjoyable. Well, another question. What is the motivation for Lauren keeping this a secret? Because he's ashamed and he doesn't want to go back. And he doesn't yeah. want anybody to know about this world and like this because he's cultivating a very specific image for himself and to be coming from this world that seems what pr- pretty like medieval mm-hmm. that would kind of go against all the the suaveness and assuredness that that lauren presents so dana you said pretty medieval um that's i gotta bring up what i oh and i'm probably gonna say this for every episode moving forward the rest of the season the Pylea world just feels like the Hercules Xena universe world. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> like, I'm always like, did they just like go to like Xena set and they're like, hey, can we borrow this for real quick? Although I think Xena might have been done by this point, but like, that's what it all feels like to me. <laughs> and you know, no hate because I did love Xena. Um, so, hilariously, Kim actually watched Xena more religiously than I did. Remember, Kim? <laughs> That was a long time ago, though, and I don't have a good memory for television. But yes, I watched. I was a big Zena and Gabrielle fan. <laughs> I had a shirt that looked just like Gabrielle's shirt that I was very proud of. And I, to me, it, it, it's funny. We all have our own frame of reference. To me, it feels like an OG Star Trek episode mm-hmm. where they beam down to a planet that's never met. Uh, the, just sort of that camptastic. This is what a planet that wouldn't be spacefaring uh, looks like. According yeah. to the 60s television. I think also it's where I got my magician's idea in the front, too. It's like certain parts of Fillory are like this as well. Yeah, just with like a better budget, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> State <laughs> Park. Um. Yeah. <laughs> like, can we go to the Ren Fair? We're going to shoot at the Ren Fair. No one take anything down. Um. I mean, the, the nice part is they so I think even Buffy already has gone to the Southern California deserts enough at this point it's nice to see something a little different uh you know california is very geographically diverse but um and that happens on a ton of shows la shows that were shot around that time is anytime there's a desert or a dry arid mountainous region it it all it's all just southern southern california just outside of la um, and this doesn't look that way, which I appreciated. That's true. Yes. Um, so they go to the library. I do love the bit. Oh, wait, oh. hold hold on. Ian, we missed. Um, oh, right. While they decide to go off on this, um, Gung goes back to his friends and finds out that um, one of his friends was actually bitten by George, I think. It was George's bitten. And they don't know if he's going to be turned or not. Yes. And so... And it's this, everyone's standing, it's really sad, everyone's standing around, and, and he walks through this crowd, and he sees his friend, and it's it's very, it's it's very upsetting. Yeah, and like, the look on his face, it's like, ah, fuck, he like, he definitely felt it, right, that like, he fucked up. Even though like, you know, he didn't do anything, but like, he, I, you should see that the look on Lauren's face is like, fuck, I should have been there, or whatever. So then, yeah, then we go to the library and I love Lauren running into that woman and calling attention to the fact that this is a demon in like a bright colored suit with bright colored skin just walking yeah. around. <laughs> it's the original drag queen story hour. <laughs> yes. Talking about deja vu, you know, like like a normal human. <laughs> um, and so I like that we're like, because I didn't even think about that, honestly. And I should have, because like, again, he is a very 
conspicuous demon. Um, right. But I love that immediately she thinks that he's there yes. because of the storytelling. Yes. <laughs> which would be amazing. I would so sit and watch Lord oh, yeah. read me stories. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. I did think actually like, because when he's sort of like, I guess I'll come with you or something like the, I think just the way he said it made me, made me be like, oh yeah, like he, he's a demon. That's, that's not normal. (laughs) Um, And I like that she's like, oh, but that, that story time is tomorrow. And he's like, oh, right. Well, I never, you know, do a job without checking out the space first. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it. Yeah. That's how I get it. And then we learn, what is it that they, I forget what they asked her. I know she says, oh, that would be Fred, but I forget. Like, what do they ask her? Uh, they ask, they, so Cordelia describes this woman that she sees in her visions. And she's like, no, I don't have anybody oh, yeah. working there. But then Cordelia mentions that necklace mm-hmm. that like apple or, or circle, you know, whatever that, and that rings a bell in the librarians in mine. And was like, oh God, that, that sounds like Fred. Like, I mean, she disappeared five years ago, yo. And like, she shows a picture of her missing uh, flyer. <laughs> um, so yes, they, they go more into the library. Cordelia, what is it? The book is the book she saw in her vision, right? That's why she picked it up. Yeah, yes. yeah. And she starts reading from it poorly. I thought she well, was doing- There like, are the no vowels. <laughs> it's all continents. <laughs> I thought she was doing a poor job. I didn't know how the portal actually opened, but that's, you know, I guess I don't know I, a lot about foreign languages. You, you know what that reminded me of? The callback to Buffy. I think it's, I forget what season four episode it is because it's a very throwaway. Ian, do you know what I'm going to say? I feel like you might know what I'm going to say. Uh, Xander, don't speak Latin in front yep, of the books. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I think I mentioned it the last time uh, we talked, but I, I now I don't remember what episode it is. It may be Doppelganger. No, it's not Doppelgangerland. I don't remember. Um, it's one of the ones Riley's in because Xander is talking to Riley, but beyond that, it escapes yeah, me. Yeah, I don't. Um, but I that's what that reminded me of. I do like that in this universe, we know that even if they're just like saying shit, it can like do a spell. So Cordelia does that and out pops who, Kim? Man, you're going to make me pronounce this guy's name. <laughs> you can just say Lauren's cousin. It's Landock. Landock. Yeah. I think I've got Ladunk written down anytime, every time in my notes, but I don't know his full name. <laughs> but anyway, Landock is a demon that looks like a more medieval version of Lauren. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I think, Ian, you mentioned it. Like, I, it's heavy handed, but I do like the like queer metaphor here of like, Lorne is so well-dressed in, like, his bright colors. And, you know, in this universe, Lorne feels, like, so together and, like, so... But then we see how nervous he gets around his family. And they're, like, these, like, like goobers who, like, dress in, like, potato sacks. And, you know, have, like, long hair and beards. And he's, like, so clean-cut. <laughs> and I love that it's the Death Knot clan. I just like that it's, like... I forget a Crevlorn swath of the Deathlock clan. Yep. 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 I just I don't know. Then they just keep saying Deathlock over and over <laughs> again. And I thought it had a really great touch for like the scariness of this place that he comes from, like and who he is, you know? I don't know. I thought it added to that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would imagine that someone who comes from a, the Deathwalk clan would be very <laughs> formidable. But here's Lorne, uh, a dapper dressed kind of dandy karaoke singer. Yeah. And like, I do think that's clever, right? Like, I do think it's clever that like, 
that's what he comes from, but he didn't want that. And so he came into this universe and, you know, started getting like very nice tailored suits with like bright colors and was like, ugh, no more potato sacks for me. Um, yeah, I love the the structure of the metaphor. Yeah. The uh, the line, uh, a world of only good and evil, black and white, no gray, no music, no art. And that yeah. as, as the medium for um, discussing it, I think is really beautiful. Yeah. It's just sort of, uh, I, I, I guess I wish it was a more serious episode, I suppose. But then again, if this is a Lorne-centric arc, um, his character is bright and joyful. Um, and, and so is this arc. So it makes a lot more sense. The one thing I really like though, the detail that I didn't notice um, before is sort of in a world of binary, um, you know, good and evil, no music, no art. When Cordy looks up the sky at the end of the episode, there's two, two suns. Yeah. So you, even in their sky have that representation of just binary. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's deep. <laughs> um, I didn't go that far, <laughs> but that's what you're good. That's what you're good yes, at. Ian. That's that's Ian. That's what we have you for. I always feel like I'm the one that's like, Buffy's hair is pretty. And Ian is like, well, this is the metaphor here. This is the story. <laughs> but just so we're clear, Buffy's hair is very pretty. <laughs> it is pretty. It is pretty. Um, well, this uh, Landoc guy was like, all right, well, I can like smell his aura or something. Like, uh, yeah. I can't remember exactly what it does, but which which apparently is something Lauren could have learned how to do if he would have, you know, gone with his birthright. But, you know, that wasn't his thing. So he's he joins the team uh, on this search for this Dokken beast, who, by the way, is like out there being scrungly and and like eating people, <laughs> you know, on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> I do love too uh, when Lorne is saying the line, um, "No art, no culture, just binary, just uh, heroes hunting, and all of that." The cut to Angel's face. Who I mean, David Boreanaz also has this very Cro-Magnon uh, look to him on a, on his own. Uh, I, that look of him just wanting that, desperately desiring that himself. I I, am, I thought was a nice cut. Yeah. Yes. Um, and his, his stupid fucking face. Yes, is perfect. <laughs> 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 um, and then. God, my notes are a little jumbled here. Dana, where do we go after this? Um, so they're tracking the the Draken and the um, and Landoc is like doing his, you know, aura sniffing or whatever. And they they find uh, I think he figures out that he's got a woman with him that he's gonna eat later. And so they've got to um they gotta run off and and try to get it. And they run into the demon, of course, and Landoc gets bitten and this Draken venom is apparently like very poisonous to uh, Lorne's clan, and they got to figure out how to get Landok back, or he's going to die. Then when do, when do we cut back to Gun? That's what I, was, what I think it was before that. Okay. Oh, sorry, when, my bad. The the pier for his friend that got bitten, just in case they um they tried to turn him. Right. Which they don't really spend. It's it's a brief it's a brief moment, and it's um. He gets he gets mad at his friend for them not waiting for him. I think is the that's it. the big part, right? But yeah. he's really in 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 reality, he's just mad at himself for not being right. there. Yes, yes. Right, yes. right before the very dramatic Viking funeral. 
Ian, yes. Yeah. In this episode, again, just in in this episode, uh, it's such a weird tone shift. It is. Yes, it is. Um, so then what is it? Then Angel... Oh, there's like a special type of metal or whatever that's forged only in their land that can kill this demon. And so Landoc's like, well, we can't, you know, kill him without this thing. Um, but of course... Angel is Angel, and so he and Wesley go to go head head to toe with this grungy demon, and Angel manages to to slay it. Yes, and so Angel, you know, disposes of the demon. Cordelia says they can get Landoc back home for a cure by reading from the book again. Right. Well, they've got to find one of the where, like one of the areas where the portal was, so they go back to uh, Caritas. Yes, right. And she has that you know big book. She reads from it. I no, he reads. He reads right. From he it. reads from it. I have like a stupid nitpicky thing about this that like he reads from it. They're all standing like side by side, right? The way they're like the scene is shot. Like Lorne, Angel, Wesley, and Cordelia are like all right next to each other. Opens a portal that's big shiny light, and then it stops, and we see that who is gone? Cordelia. It just, and this is so nitpicky, but I'm like, wouldn't someone have seen her fly by? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're looking at the portal. They're literally looking at Maybe it. It was just, maybe it was very bright. It made like a flash. All right, all right. <laughs> maybe it had like tendrils or something that like reached out True. in the in the in the the brightness and grabbed her. I have no idea how the hell she ended I up. I want you to know I've taken so like I've had such trouble. This is just me being a big fucking nerd. I've had so much trouble like thinking of images for this, these like last few episodes of the season, especially with this episode. I'm like, what the fuck do I do for it? I have taken like three different versions and I'm th- even as we're talking, I'm like, oh, maybe I should try this. Maybe I'll try that because like, there's just like, it's set up and there's so much going on and, but so then Cordelia has vanished and she wakes up in this strange world that looks like she could run into Xena. <laughs> she goes, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, she looks great, though, having just transported to a different dimension. She looks fantastic. Yeah. And that's that's it. We end on a cliffhanger. And I like that it's not just the the Cordy's in another dimension cliffhanger. We've also got like the Fred stuff going on and we feel like we... We learned more about Lauren. I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of like like open endedness to this mm. episode. It's set up a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes me want to watch more. I'm not like, man, they didn't cover this. I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to see the next one. I like more than any particular Buffy verse run. This series of episodes feels like a movie. Yes. Um, where and I think it's it's kind of cool for that reason, and it suffers for that reason. I think individually. The episodes um, don't have as much weight uh, as they do in other stories. Maybe the back half of Buffy season five, but I mean, yeah. um, as soon as uh, they start running from glory, that kind of feels like a mini movie. Mm-hmm. But even that feels uh, the the episodes like Weight of the World have their own identity, and almost everything in this feels like set up for the mini movie. And I know people love the mini movie. I just think that. It's not even a mini movie, really. You're talking about four or five right. 45-minute episodes. But I just uh, I just think that that it leaves them sort of individually feeling afloat. Yeah, I guess. So we're at the end. I have a new 
little i do like little trivia and ian if you have any, i feel like you always have trivia i like the top of your head if you have any to add that's cool too throw it in there but i just have two bits of trivia for this episode when she walks out and takes off her robe and is in the bikini we see she has cordelia has the scar from where the rebarb pipe went into her side in lover's walk which is an actual scar that charisma carpenter has which is so weird that they wrote it into the show but sure that works for continuity and this is something i had never noticed before the jumpsuit cordelia wears is like almost exactly the same jumpsuit harmony wears in fool for love earlier that season of buffy Mm. and when Harmony leaves in the previous the two episodes before this, she says she left clothes at her place. But I just can't see yeah. them doing that on purpose. But right, I don't know. I don't know. That was kind of a popular design around this time. That uh, that jumpsuit with like a wide leg and a like a really uh, like a really form fitting top and a, mm. that goes into a wide leg. So, I mean, it's possible that there just happened to be more than one, but I couldn't see Cordelia being like, I'm snatching this. <laughs> True. Be like, I look good in this and she does look good in it. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, now that we're at the end, a uh, favorite scene, Dana. Um, favorite scene is going to be that little moment that Angel has in the sun. Oh, okay. Ian. Ah, uh, that one as well. Probably second favorite scene then is just getting to hear uh, the lounge lizard version of su- um, superstition <laughs> is a ton of fun. Uh, Kim? I mean, it's a silly one because it's not like it's my favorite scene. Like it was my favorite thing to watch. But like the when we, we get like, I guess, Fred's origin story just because I know what's coming, mm. you know. I think that I paid more attention to that this time than I did for my first watch yeah. through. Yeah. And so that was really like impactful and meaningful to like me because I love that character. But I know that's that's kind of a cop out answer because it's like not the best scene. It's just like the one I appreciated there, the most on my rewatch. There are no cor- incorrect answers for favorite scene. Uh, oh yay! <laughs> Thanks, BFF. Um, yeah, I I'm gonna go with Ian. My favorite. The Ians are in agreement. I love Lauren singing superstition, and I love that we like. I almost wish we sat on it longer. I'm like, give me a little bit more of him singing that. I was into it. <laughs> They could only afford that. Right. Yeah, probably. I just, and I think I've mentioned this a bazillion times, but I always think of how the magicians, there was like a panel because they sing Taylor Swift in season one. But right, Kim, it is like maybe 20 seconds where they sing Taylor Swift. (laughs) And they had to pay, I think it was, God, now I think I've said this before on the podcast. So the number is probably, I think it was like $20,000 is how much they had to pay for like 20 seconds of a Taylor Swift song. That's not even her singing. It's the characters singing. Yeah. I, I worked at a music publishing company and we had a copyright division and we owned the copyright to Carol of the Bells. Oh, Jesus. And uh, among other things. But yeah, it's to use any of that stuff in any uh, any public um performance or anything it's extremely expensive i can't believe they got away with only 20 grand on a twi- on a taylor swift song <laughs> to be fair i mean she was already super famous but right Kim, it was before she was like the most world famous person that she is now i mean she's dating like world famous football player travis kelsey now so she's like the most famous she's ever been my my Bleak, but funny. My friend at- Sorry, that was a, that was a joke. I know that you guys aren't sports fans. <laughs> the, my point was that she's way more famous than yes. him. LOL. No. Ha, ha, ha. 
Sorry, sorry. Big football fan over here. Um, my friend at my mother's funeral 2.0, we did like a luncheon for people that tried to make her funeral. He said to me, I feel like she's the most famous person. Her and Beyonce are the most the most famous people in the world right now. And if one of them ran for president, they'd win. And I was like, probably, probably yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, right. You know what? At this point, fucking whatever. I mean, they have the same qualifications as Trump did. <laughs> you know, why not? But they're at least more progressive and nicer. Um, right. There you go. <laughs> favorite outfit, Kim? All right, bear with me here. Okay. I like Cordy's hair at the beginning that is like all curly. Okay. But I like the blue jumpsuit for like clothes. So like curly hair, blue jumpsuit. Even though I like the way the straight hair looks with the blue jumpsuit. So mm. all right. mishmash. All right. Dana? Uh, this is an abysmal costume episode. <laughs> um, there's really only two that are, are in the running and that's Lauren's outfit. Uh, his kind of like yellow suit. Yeah. And and Cordy's uh, denim jumper. That's fair. Yes, correct. Uh, um, Ian, I mean, I I my real answer is Lauren's suit, but I was struck by uh, Wesley's depression shirt <laughs> that he's wearing when he uh, and his dad are having a fight. It's kind of like a a button up number that looks like something I would have worn in college, along with Hawaiian shirts, pretty regularly. I was that guy in flip flops. So um, I guess it's weird to see yourself on screen a little bit. <laughs> um, I the jumpsuit and the like. I actually love her. Like you know, Cordy Charisma Carpenter has like the best hair, right? Like she her hair is great. Um, but I think the short doesn't always work for me. But when it's like super poker straight, I love it. I think it looks great. I think that's when the short hair works the most for me. And that jumpsuit looks fucking fantastic on her. And she's got hoops. And you know, I love a hoop. So like, <laughs> you know, the girlies, the girlies were going through a fuck ass Bob moment <laughs> in the, like the late nineties, early aughts. <laughs> we all had a, we all had a Bob. It was just what Davis we did. And all the great movies. <laughs> just one weird thing. This is the last episode from Sean Ryan. Okay. Um, who wrote the thin deadline reunion like some of the darker episodes of this season and uh a year after this went on to create the michael chiklis show the shield oh which uh, is of some note so a uh, strange writing pedigree on this one that he writes one of the more comedic episodes of the the series yeah or rather of this season yeah huh what grade do we give the episode um dana I'm going to give this one a, a B plus because oh. I, I found it had a lot of great setup, um, good performances, fun dialogue. Um, it yeah, it just felt like an entertaining hour of TV for me. Okay, I like that. Ian, it's probably a C plus for That's me. That's fair. Acknowledging that, just I, I'm fully aware of my personal tastes and biases on this one. I, listen, that's what you're grading for, you know. It's remember, there's no wrong <laughs> answers. Yes, uh, Kim. I'm going to go A minus. Oh. I liked it. C plus for me. I'm there with you, Ian. <laughs> yeah, it's just not what I come to the show for. It's, it's like, it's not terrible. It's just, eh. and it is very like Empire Strikes Back. It's like, we're just kind of like getting to the stuff is what this episode is doing. Um, but I don't, I, I enjoyed it more than I remember. I like did not remember this episode at all. If you had said when I was like, before I had even done like a speed watch for image images, 
I would have had no idea what this episode was. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It, they, this whole arc is memorable as a whole, but I think lacks the individual identity. Yeah. And I can't believe it's four or five episodes long. I don't even remember how many episodes four, yeah. long it is because it, it, it feels maybe two or three at the most to me yeah. in my head, but but it also um, does the job of its title, right? I mean, I feel like the the one appalling thing in the episode is like the weird, like you know, thing with the the director, and then maybe the you know objectification of of the gang. Other than that, like the, it, you know, it really tracks for the title. They're all sort of trying to find their place. True. You know, is Cordy an actress, or is she someone with visions? Is you know Wesley a leader, or someone who's just going to constantly disappoint his dad? Is Gun, you know? A part of the gang, the Angel Headquarters gang, or is he actually like, you know, part of the his previous group of people that yeah. you know, I feel like that and even Lorne, right? Like with his old yeah. old place and his new place. So to me it really does hold up as an episode on its own because all of those different storylines are on the same theme. That's fair. That's fair. But yes, uh, thank you all for doing this. Um, thank you all for listening. We are. This will be our first episode back until we get to the end of Angel. And we'll be going weekly until the end of the season. Not that there's that many episodes left. Um, and uh, if you like Slayerfest 98, you can find us on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you want to find us on social media, we are at SlayerFestX98 across all social media platforms. If you want to follow me, I'm at IanXCarlos. Ian, where can everyone find you? I am YouTube.com slash Passion of the Nerd. And Kim, where can everyone find you and get your poetry book? Uh, you can go to my website, KimberlyAnnSouthwick.com, and everywhere else, including whatever the heck we're moving to that isn't Twitter and Twitter, which is really the one I'm still on mostly, uh, Kim and Joe South, no extra ease. All right. And Dana? Yeah, I'm at Dana Pickley, two C's, one L, pretty much everywhere. I'm on threads and Blue Sky now, too. So see there. You know, I did get accounts on, I got a Blue Sky and something else. But I just, I got Blue Sky and Threads for Slayer Fest, but I just, I literally got the account and have like, I think I posted one thing from Blue Sky. Same with my gigantic sequence yeah. accounts. It's hard, it, you can't, yeah, I mean, there, there's reasons that probably you haven't posted there, but like, it's, I feel good that we have those accounts there. Yes, you know what I mean? Like, if we, if we need to switch. Yeah, we have them, <laughs> if they're there, if we need Quickly. them. Um, but, yeah. all right, everyone. Right on. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.